and welcome to Comedia del Cinema, your favorite comedy movie, comedy podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Emily Walborn. Hello, I'm your other host, Jordan Walt. And today we are continuing our Oscar-nominated comedy movie little series with The Apartment, one of your all-time favorite movies. That's quite right. It's um, my favorite Billy Wilder. And definitely in my top five, sometimes maybe my top one. Wowee, what an endorsement. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, you know, you're not alone in thinking it's one of the best movies of all time. That's kind of a consensus among a lot of filmmakers. And I have to say, they're right to think it. They are right to think it. It's a it's a fantastic movie. So if you haven't seen it, de- definitely recommend it because it's it's a classic. Run, don't walk to your local multiplex and demand that they <laughs> put on the apartment. <laughs> that would be funny if if like the the gentle minions people started <laughs> like showing up and demanding that they play the apartment. CC Baxter Hive. <laughs> Gentle Baxman. <laughs> Girls get the Shirley MacLaine haircut. Show up to the. <laughs> Hordes of elevator operators show up to the theater. <laughs> In their little plastic white gloves. <laughs> Do you think they're plastic? I thought they were like cloth. Hmm. I don't know. They're. I I guess. Well, okay, nineteen sixty. Mm, I would guess plastic. I really think cloth. I don't think. <laughs> I just, I just think that in an office building like that, <laughs> a bunch of people wearing plastic clothes. <laughs> oh, I think they would get sweaty all day. <laughs> they wear the same pair for eight and a half hours. I think because it's kind of a classy, you know, mm-hmm. they gotta dress a certain way. It'd be more cloth-based gloves. I guess. Neither I find particularly classy. I think cloth is a bit more classy than plastic gloves. <laughs> I think wool. <laughs> is what? The classiest? Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, what's well, our podcast Well, I know about? what you're getting for Christmas next year. <laughs> do you want to explain uh, a little bit more about what we do here? You want me to? Yeah, go for it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we're just going to talk about... Uh, the apartment, what was kind of going on around the time that it came out in terms of comedy movies, um, a bit of history about Billy Wilder, the director, as well as I.A.L. Diamond, one of the co-writers, mm-hmm. and um, talk about the comedy theories that we noticed in this movie, as well as some of the box office performance, um, and if it led to anything anything else in comedy. So Wonderful. So, um, this, this movie seems to come at a time in which the production code is particularly, um, on its last legs in a sense. So 1952 is when movies are officially granted free speech protection under the first amendment, but it's not until 68 that the Hayes code is fully replaced by the MPAA, which is now the MPA. So this was in the period of time where you couldn't necessarily be 
explicit with sex or have people using the F word or anything like that quite yet, but you could be a lot more mature with your themes and wouldn't necessarily have to uh, justify everything under a kind of Christian American worldview. So your endings could be a little bit more dicey as well. Yeah, I definitely noticed that with some of the movies around this time, people are kind of starting to push the boundaries, especially Billy Wilder in terms of comedy. Right before the apartment, he had just finished making um, Some Like It Hot mm-hmm. with Jack Lemon and Marilyn Monroe and um, who's the other guy? And, oh, Tony Curtis. Tony Curtis. Um, I mean, the last line of Some Like It Hot is pretty famous mm-hmm. with... Um, you know, Tony Curtis's character essentially mm-hmm. ending up in a uh, gay relationship. Um, and that that comedy really does push the, the Hayes Code mm-hmm. pretty far. Yeah, and in that movie, it's more specifically the comedy that's doing that here. It's mm-hmm. more themes and story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the subject matter yeah. around Shirley MacLaine's character mm-hmm. also pushes it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really find all that much in terms of comedies of this year. It seemed kind of like The Apartment was the biggest one to come out of mm-hmm. the year. Yeah, it seems like a lot of epics, religious epics. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is also the time of film history where where movies are under threat by TV in probably the biggest way they have up to that point so i think the reason Mm -hmm. we maybe don't see that many comedies is because this is the era in which sitcoms are first a huge thing which means people aren't necessarily going out of their homes to see what they think they could get at home which is why the movies that are huge tend to have some sort of element of spectacle to them which is kind of kind of similar to now but Right, because I think the two highest-grossing movies of 1960 were Spartacus, Psycho, you also got Exodus, Swiss Family Robinson, and then coming in at number eight was The Apartment. Yeah. So, and The Apartment is not at all sitcom-like in any way, whereas I would say Billy Wilder's last movie, Something Like It Hot, is definitely closer to kind of sitcom-esque comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... Maybe to ward off any perception that it's sort of sitcom as there's the um there's the black and white not that sitcoms couldn't be in black and white, but there's the black and white combined with a two three five aspect ratio, which mm-hmm. was generally only used for like that was the cinemascope aspect ratio, so shooting okay. a movie like this with that kind of wide wide canvas suggests even if the subject material is more intimate they're going to try and give you a kind of big you know enjoyable big screen experience so even like Baxter's office set with the hundreds Mm -hmm. of employees behind him and in front of him there's obviously an effort to bring some larger images to the screen in what could have been a pretty small story yeah, it was interesting. They used force perspective in that set. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't actually that big, obviously. Yeah. 
but they made it look that big because they put continually smaller desks and smaller people in the background, <laughs> ending what they said children at like tiny desks in the background. That's awesome. And it, it's really effective. It looks amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, this is sort of not the end of Billy Wilder's career, but it's likely the crest, uh, kind of the peak of his power all coming together. Mm-hmm. As you said, Something Like It Hot was just a year before, right? Right. And I mean, this was this movie is a, a direct Billy Wilder, Diamond, and Lemon wanted to work together again. Mm-hmm. So they made this movie, wow. essentially. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And then this is also kind of the the start of Jack Lemon becoming a huge comedy star. He sticks around for decades uh, later. Oh yeah, he's like an MVP comedy guy. I mean, he's he's incredible in Some Like It Hot. Mm-hmm. He's incredible in this movie. I mean, we'll talk a bit more about his performance in a little bit, but it's like he is he's kind of broad. Mm-hmm in this movie and yet somehow it works with Shirley MacLaine is like the complete contrast mm-hmm. of just very emotionally grounded character yeah yeah not that she's not funny too but it's like they're playing very different styles of comedy in this right. movie she's that somehow work really well together yeah mm-hmm. um yeah so Billy Wilder's been probably proven to be kind of the the king of American comedy uh, at that time, mm-hmm. he came over from Germany, um, Aust- slash Austria yeah, area. Yeah, um, yep. worked for Ernst Lubitsch uh, on a couple of movies. So Lubitsch was his his mentor in a lot of ways. And there are a lot of direct lines between them, and then Wilder kind of works in every conceivable genre for for decades. Um, he has mm-hmm. two major screenwriting partners. Charles Brackett was the first one. At one point, mm-hmm. he just kind of cuts Brackett off, and Brackett never, never quite understood um, what mm-hmm. happened. Their wives, I think, had a lot to say about it. When they were, <laughs> um, and then I.A.L. Diamond becomes his main screenwriting partner for the rest of his career, who he works on a lot of these later comedy classics with I and mean, yeah he starts out doing like double indemnity mm-hmm. sunset boulevard and then you know doing some seven year itch with marilyn monroe then you know some like it hot and then the apartment and it's interesting how he kind of goes from those film noir movies into comedy mm-hmm. which isn't really a transition you would think no although even here you can it's very much not a noir plot, but the filmmaking style is somewhat at home with like a double indemnity style of cinematography. Oh, definitely. Especially when he's kind of walking around alone mm-hmm. on the streets. It's very film noir esque. Yeah. Speaking it's of a double... fedora and his coat. <laughs> uh, key double indemnity connection Fred McMurray, the lead in du- double indemnity, is sort of the other third of the love triangle in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the old piece of shit who won't leave his wife. He wasn't even supposed to be in it, I read. They had somebody else, but then they ended up casting him. Wow. So, let's see. 
they it seems like they got so Wilder and Diamond really wanted to work with Lemon again. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they decided to do this movie. Um it seems like the idea of this of the apartment came from a lot of different aspects. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of different kind of anecdotes around Hollywood of you know, a, a high-powered agent getting shot by a producer for having an affair with his wife at a friend's apartment to um, a friend of A.L. Diamond's, I.L. Diamond's, who came home, broke up with someone and then came home and she had committed suicide in his bed. Oh, so a lot of a lot of anecdotes that they took and combined into this movie as well as the initial concept coming from a brief encounter, which is yeah. an old coward play in yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great movie. Um, it makes, it makes sense that Wilder, someone with sort of a, it's, there's a clear, someone who knows comedy would see a, a drama like that and sort of get the, okay, what if you take this element of the world that I saw and expand upon that? Um, yeah, I, I couldn't find much else. It seems like there's just a whole lot of um, mixed, uh, mixed, stories mixed stories and about what actually. Yeah, and you know, it seems very Mad Men esque era of high powered execs doing bullshit <laughs> and using lower level people's apartment to mm-hmm. to bang. And I, yeah, should we get into the movie itself? What happens? Yeah, do you want to tell tell the people what the old apartment is about? So you got Jack Lemon as CC Bud Baxter. He works uh, for an insurance agency in New York. He works on the 59th floor. Um, he's kind of just a classic office grunt, but he's making a lot of leaps and strides in his career because he lets a lot of the executives above him use his apartment for sleeping with younger women from the office to cheat on their wives. Um, This leads to Baxter not getting a lot of sleep most nights. He isn't necessarily putting in a great deal of effort at work, um, except uh, with his playing the social game with these these, uh, men who are above him. He has a bit of a crush on Shirley MacLaine, Fran Kubelik, the elevator girl. Uh, when he finally gets the promotion he's been gunning for for a long time, he stops dealing the apartment to a bunch of lower-level employees and gives the key specifically to Fred McMurray, who can hook up with his main mistress, who, it turns out, uh, which Bud later finds out, is in fact Miss Fran Kubelik herself. Eventually, despite uh, the boss's pleads to the contrary, he's not actually going to leave his wife, which leads to Fran attempting suicide in Bud's apartment. They end up spending the week from Christmas to New Year's together, getting closer, and Bud eventually learns that he doesn't want to play the game the way his bosses have played it, um, he won't participate in the system anymore, even if it means he has to give up this fancy new office. So he gives that all up, 
runs back to his apartment. Um, Fran, who gets with gets with the boss after he gets kicked out from his wife and tries to spin it as if he left her. Um, she finds out that Bud left this all behind, runs to him, thinks he was trying to kill himself, and then they enjoy New Year's Eve together. So happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's such an interesting movie because it the themes and subject matter can be quite dark, mm-hmm. and yet it's such a funny movie. Yeah, it's incredibly modern in, in a sense of... Um, it's one of the first comedies, I think, that paints work as kind of a miserable thing in a lot of ways instead of buying into sort of an American dream mentality that that everyone likes going to work and you have to do it. Um, it actually shows the, the kind of rot that can be inherent to putting too much stock into, into your work life. Well, that's what... I think that's what he ends up learning. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, he does buy, Baxter does buy into the American dream and he just cares about getting a better job, getting off of his, you know, data entry or whatever he starts as and climbing the ladder and going up floors back when, you know, the higher powered people were on higher floors. Mm -hmm. He does buy into that. And then that becomes part of the problem. It's kind of one of the main themes of, you know, kind of capitalism mm-hmm. versus love mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah. The workplace satire that's related to all of that is so good, too, because at no point is Baxter, um, you know, gunning. At no point is he going to get a promotion because of his work performance. It has nothing to do with that. It's truly all the politics and kind of what areas in which you'll let your ethics slide, which is right. ever relevant to those kinds of jobs. I mean, even his his desk mate on his initial job, when he gets promoted, is like, are you kidding me? I've been here way longer mm-hmm. than you. I'm way better at my job, and you're already being promoted. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um... It's relevant in France, um, you know, in the way she has her role in the workplace as well, um, along with the other women. They're more or less there to be choices for the executives to pick from. It's clear that a lot of these executives kind of have their flavor of the month. And Fran herself had ambitions to be an actual secretary but she couldn't spell very well, so she failed the typing test, and now she's the elevator girl, um, which mm-hmm. clearly leads to a lot of inappropriate behavior from from the executives. Um, yeah. yeah. It's kind of a... I noticed when I was watching it, it's kind of about two people, really, whose lives aren't really their own. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Baxter, he... Even his apartment isn't really his apartment. Mm-hmm. He keeps getting kicked out. He has to leave in the middle of the night. He has to mm-hmm. put up with all his neighbors thinking that he's this wild bachelor because they keep mm-hmm. seeing just so many different women coming in and out of his apartment. And even as he grows, gains more power at work, he's still beholden to his boss. And it's the same with Shirley MacLaine. It's like her 
love and her relationships aren't really necessarily her choice because of her position at work. Yeah. Yeah. So it's ultimately while while it lays a lot of foundation for the modern rom com in pretty significant ways, it's interesting that they don't you you get the sense that they're together for now at the end of the movie. But there's mm-hmm. not the inherent promise that, oh, they're gonna be together forever. It is really more about the journey of each of them just giving up on buying into the mentality that they bought into this whole time. When when he tells Fran that he loves her at the end, she doesn't respond in kind. There's no. <laughs> she she just appreciates that like like herself, uh, another person has finally decided to pursue what they actually want instead of buying into the system. Right. Yeah, there's a line that Fran says that really kind of captures the whole theme mm-hmm. and the satire of the movie, which is some people take and some people get took. And they know they're getting took and there's nothing they can do about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of just the central theme, central idea for the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And everything the characters kind of base their relationships and their actions around. Right. Yeah. And it takes Bud quite a long time to stop uh, to stop believing that he's um, that he can stop getting getting took because even in the third act mm-hmm. when he is starting to see the pretty horrible relationship that Fran is in he's still going to his boss and saying hey you should you should talk to her he's st- still trying to help out his superiors um, even right. when it's in direct contrast with what he wants for himself. Let's talk a little bit about Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine's performances, because they do almost feel like they're in two different movies at some points, and yet somehow it, mm-hmm. it melds so well together. Mm-hmm. Well, I think maybe to an extent he's sort of representing the mm-hmm. old world, uh, and she's a more modern uh, influence mm-hmm. on him so if she's there primarily to serve his arc then it makes sense that he has to get a little bit <laughs> like because all of the bosses that he's with at the beginning of the movie are pretty yeah, broad it's true. types as well mm-hmm. kind of goofballs so he's almost emulating himself off mm-hmm. of them and his performance becomes a little bit less mm-hmm. broad um, near the end of the movie and slightly more naturalistic be- because of her influence. That's really, yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it. I think he's just so good at physical comedy, too. Mm-hmm. And it's such subtle physical comedy that he, you know, he does like little head bobs to match his typewriter as he's typing. And it's all mm-hmm. very, you can definitely see almost a more broad, more exaggerated performance like that of his in Some Like It Hot. And this is definitely more mm-hmm. toned down, but still has his kind of Jack Lemon movie star mm-hmm. performance to it. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, Shirley MacLaine doesn't really play it. No, she's almost playing it at all. dramatic. It's like she's just kind of... It feels like she's just giving a dramatic performance, but it is... Funny because there are jokes written for her and, you know, bits that she does as well. 
Yeah. Fred McMurray as Mr. Sheldrake, he, he's a bit more... He's kind of full dramatic performance the whole yeah. time. Uh, um, he's a little bit of a scary business mm-hmm. guy um, in the sense that he could almost be walking out of Double Indemnity. Right. And into this. Which makes... Which makes him a really uh, effective antagonist because if you're Jack Lemmon, <laughs> C.C. Baxter goofball, like the scene near the mm-hmm. beginning when they're sort of not talking about the apartment key, but also mm-hmm. they are, um, and Baxter doesn't know if he's in trouble or not, um, they both play that perfectly because for Baxter, he's such a goofball, but he plays terrified right. so well. And Sheldrake is just giving classic asshole boss who you just don't know (laughs) if they're going to give you a promotion or fire you. Yeah, all of the characters, all of the supporting characters, maybe with the exception of the more exaggerated other bosses at work, like his neighbors, they all feel so Mm -hmm. real, real people, but also quite comedic. Mm -hmm. Like they're quite funny mm-hmm. supporting characters as well but they also feel so real and grounded in the world yeah i do love the the sort of late act to woman who um <laughs> who baxter uh, almost hooks up with on christmas mm. eve oh yeah um she's wild her husband mickey is in prison in cuba and she's it's kind of the classic wilder comedy of like this character is so interesting not because she's like just this floozy who who wants to cheat on her husband but because she's actually incredibly devoted to her husband but he's uh in a cuban prison and she just wants to get get some action um like it's so it's funnier because it's rooted in a more authentic Mm -hmm. emotion i think than a lot of sort of the old screwball comedy characters like that yeah I think as we do more Billy Wilder movies, we can kind of see that coming across in a lot of his other movies, no matter how absurd the comedic situations are, mm-hmm. like in Some Like It Hot, the emotions of the characters are so grounded and help drive the comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else do you think drives the comedy in this um, movie? I well, there's just a lot of really good... It's just a lot of really good kind of um, undercutting of status throughout. Really good undercutting mm-hmm. jokes that, um, I mean, a good under undercut will either, the punchline is either taking power away from someone or giving it to somebody else. And that's just pretty constant throughout, mm-hmm. especially with Baxter yeah. and at work and the other bosses and um, and even with Shirley MacLaine and, and Sheldrake and, you know, it's... I think that's a pretty big driving force, yeah. and it's it's quite enjoyable to watch because it, it just gives a lot of pithy punchlines that are memorable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. There's also, um, as we mentioned, there's the workplace satire um, that gives it more of a sort of more broadly relevant comedy yeah. style. Um and then a lot of comedy also st- comes from misunderstanding and misperception. 
of like Baxter. Uh, like it's funny to us that his neighbors think of him as the sex yeah. pot because he's in fact the biggest loser. It also just um, lays a lot of the beats for what rom coms are now, mm-hmm. in in pretty fundamental ways that are almost hard to talk about because it's so. It's like any romantic comedy from the past 40 years, you can see a lot of that DNA in the apartment. Absolutely. Um, what about its box office performance? Did it, did it baffle B.O.? It did huge baffle B.O. Um, it's, the numbers don't look huge now, although, <laughs> although still, like, even... I mean, it only had a budget of $3 million, you know, so... Look, if you... Had, which is quite a lot at the time. And if you adjust for inflation, even if you don't adjust for inflation, it made more than, like, tar. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but um, it was the eighth highest grossing movie of the year. Seemingly the only comedy in the top ten. I guess maybe yeah. Swiss Family Robinson counts. Uh, adventure comedy. Disney. Probably event- adventure more so than... Yeah. They were they were doing or working on a reboot of that for a long long time, and it never happened. Yeah, so. they should. I mean, it's a classic. The, yeah, the Treehouse. I always thought was cool. Um, yeah, it really launches Jack Lemmon, who later becomes even even more well known for being in a duo with Walter Matthau. That mm, oh yeah right there. I want I'm. I don't even think The Odd Couple is their first big movie because they do Wilder's The Fortune Cookie and a bunch of other ones. Mm. Um, but those two work together for for decades into like grumpy old men and grumpier old men <laughs> in the late 90s, maybe through the early 2000s. Wow. Yeah. What did you... And also, I mean... It got ten Oscar nominations and won five. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty big sweep for the year. Pretty big sweep. It wins picture, director, screenplay. Um, what else did it win? I think maybe production design. Oh, yeah, black and white um, production design, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And it wins one more. Uh, another technical oscar um it gets nominated for jack lemon shirley mclean um also um dr dreyfus gets a supporting actor nom which is cool he's good yeah fred mcmurray snub uh snub maybe they thought he was too scary snub some flubs um by the time that the apartment is getting all these nominations i mean wilder has had a career of like nothing but nominations and awards. He already has a bunch of Oscars. Pretty much every single movie. He already, I think he had already had three or four Oscars and was nominated for fourteen or fifteen wow. others. I mean, in a very impressive director. Yeah. And I writer. think this is the last time he wins for a specific movie. I think maybe he gets something mm-hmm. honorary later on, but this is really the peak. Of his powers. His evil <laughs> powers. Um, it's also 
one of the last black and white movies to win an Oscar, only then followed by um, Schindler's List and Artist. And Schindler's List even has some caveats because of the girl in the red coat. The the red coat, exactly. But I haven't actually seen The Artist, but I do know it's in black and white. It is in black and white, but it's not a full silent movie because there's a scene. Mm. A scene with dialogue. Um, How gauche. Quite gauche. As far as influence goes, we've talked about that a bit because um, it kind of influences mm-hmm. everything. I think most directly, um, maybe Cameron Crowe, um, mm. who yeah. pretty openly talks about Wilder being his absolute favorite. There's a great interview book. Um, of Cameron Crowe talking with Billy Wilder for a few years around the release of Jerry Maguire. Uh, oh, okay. But you can also see in uh, Almost Famous explicitly, mm-hmm. it's kind of a retelling of the apartment in a lot of ways, except the setting is changed and it's kind of a, a merging of the love triangle of the apartment with more autobiographical elements of Cameron Crowe's life. But in that movie, even like the overdose scene with um, Kate Hudson is kind of uh, not a ripoff, but an explicit homage to this movie. Right. Well, and Kate Hudson's in both movies. It's true. She's she's Mr. Sheldrake. (laughs) Um, It also provides the... uh... The basis for Promises, Promises, a Broadway musical. Um, one of the creative members, Neil Simon, obviously, very famous playwright. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just is also one of pretty much every influential filmmaker's favorite movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's always on the AFI list. It was on Sight and Sound mm-hmm. For a long time, I don't know if this year it was on there. Uh, I believe it was the highest Wilder on the list. I think it was probably in the 20s or 30s, okay. but... Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people cite The Apartment as... Maybe probably their favorite Wilder and one of their biggest influences. I know... Is it Sam Mendes? Yeah, yeah. American Beauty guy. He said that he watched... Um, the apartment is a big inspiration for American Beauty. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I think more on a thematic level than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. It's a. Sh- I've never seen it. R.I.P. Yeah. Kevin Spacey. Well, it's okay. Sam Mendes is um, okay. I think. <laughs> American Beauty. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I la- before Kevin Spacey uh, mysteriously disappeared um, I remember liking it well enough but Sam Mendes like 1917 looked like shit I think uh, <laughs> Empire of Light heard very mixed things about I was gonna watch American Beauty in high school and I, I should have taken the opportunity to always watch the movies you <laughs> You, can. you never know what <laughs> people get canceled. <laughs> what a wild movie because it's one of those where I, I, I'd feel too grossed out to watch it 
but it would absolutely be more fascinating to watch in context now because how weird it must have been honestly for Kevin Spacey to be reading a script where his character's big climax moment is not sleeping with a teenager like Mm -hmm. it's an odd lack of self-awareness and then he wins an Oscar he wins for it Hollywood just really loves those narratives don't they (laughs) yeah you know they do (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. Well, we are switching gears for next Mm -hmm. week. But before we do anything else you want to say about the apartment? Um, let me see. There's, there's one thing I wanted to, um, plug. That's another podcast that talks about the apartment very well. Let me just... Oh, so um, it's on the Movie Crush podcast, which I'd never, I've only ever listened to this one episode, but Scott Ackerman Mm -hmm. um, is the guest, Scotty Scotty Ox, to talk um, specifically about the apartment screenplay in a lot of ways. Oh, Um, cool. Very, very interesting. Um, Otherwise, just watch the movie. It's it's a great one. I don't have anything else. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. No? Gotta love Mm -hmm. it. Cookie wise. Hmm? Exactly. Gotta love it Mm -hmm. cookie wise. (laughs) So what are we doing next week? Um, Well, for the month of Feb, this this is the first week of Feb, but for the rest of the month of of Feb, we are going to do some dark romance rom-coms. So not your typical Harry met Sally, Mm. uh, Nora Ephron, Boopie Bop. (laughs) cutie romance no, movies not a single no we're going hardcore <laughs> we're starting off next week with harold and Maude, which i've never seen we're gonna have a very special guest join mm-hmm. us it's gonna be a very fun time that's right and um if you just if you're wondering what the other movies in the series are we're not going to tell you but google search ugly people rom-com and and huh. you'll find what we're you talking might about. might be able to tell. <laughs> Look up Uggos in romantic Look movies. Up in love. <laughs> well, that excludes, of course, Harold and Maude, those two cuties. They're very hot, yes. You got Bud Court. You got the old lady Ruth something. I don't know. <laughs> I've never seen it. I have no All idea. Right. Well, you're going to see it soon. And we're exactly. going to talk about it on this podcast. In a mere few hours, I will be watching it. Yeah. So I'm going to watch it tomorrow. Brag. Anything else you want to promote, talk about? Yeah, you should follow us on Twitter. We are on Twitter. We're at... Comedia at... Comedy. <laughs> Comedia Comedy. I wonder if we could put pod in there somewhere. I think I tried, but I'll try again. Um, okay. And on Instagram, you can follow us. We're at Camellia Del Cinema. Um, and, you know, we'll just post there <laughs> when we remember, mm-hmm. which you remember more than I do, um, on Twitter at least. Follow us on Shutterfly. 
uh, Bebo and Friendster too. We are active on Bebo. Yeah, we're pretty much leading Bebo these days. Top followed account. It's almost like nobody else is on <laughs> it's there. It's just us. <laughs> and now Help you. Help us build Bebo Hive. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. Thanks. And we'll see you, see you next, next week. week. Bye.